I got tricked into playing Dark Age of Camelot, and I ended up playing for six years because the PvP was awesome, the, everything about it, the three realms, you name it. My name is Chrissy Zeman, and I'm the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. This is the Vorpal Network. All right, we have made it. We've arrived, guys. It is episode two of the as of yet unnamed DM podcast on, here on the uh, the Tome Show feed, which Mike and I are calling the Griner Group. Griner Group. <laughs> I really don't like the name. It's way too like it, about. It's, it's way too about me. <laughs> no, it's not it's you, man. It's all about you, Griner Group. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'll call it the Grinder Group, but I'm going to replace myself with another DM, and I'm not actually going to appear on the show anymore. <laughs> lame. Yeah, that is lame. It's like... Will that DM be Chris Perkins? Because that'd be okay. Yeah, okay. I'll see what I can do. I hear his schedule's wide get on, open. Get on that if you would. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he'd, ring. he'd be all about that. One of my goals for Gen Con this year is to actually sit in on a game with one of the famous DMs. Oh man, I played a game. I played in Monty Cook's game this last oh, weekend. Dude. Oh, right on. Yeah, I had so much jealous. You guys had, yeah, yeah it was awesome. It was yeah. the best game that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> just thought, I just thought you should know that. DDXP, okay. DDXP always leaves me jealous, but at least I have the audio to deal with. And this year, because of, of things that happened, I don't, e- I don't even have any audio. So, man. I had one recording, but I think all the things were posted up by uh, Obsidian Portal. So I didn't bother to do anything with it. Yeah. Well, I'll take it. Send it along. If you want it, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go dig it up. Right on. All right, well, we should probably do this thing, huh? Sure, let's do it. We've all got games coming up this month, and uh, we got to figure out what the heck we're doing. Yeah. Yep. Who needs, who needs to go first? I went first last time. Someone else can go. I'll go first. All right, Randall. All right. So, um, actually, we was going to play in January, but that got canceled, So, which is always kind of a bummer. Um, so I can, but I actually dealt with it okay this time, mainly because I knew I wasn't as prepared as I could be. <laughs> so it's always good to rationalize. Oh well, I guess it's okay to cancel it. I wasn't prepared anyway. But two of my players couldn't show, and one of them wasn't feeling well, and it was like, okay, well, maybe we won't do this then today. And um, so, but however, um, I am gearing up for February. Uh, already got my card, my um, item cards printed out, treasure cards printed out. So, um, I'm on track. Uh, and when you are a prop or DM like myself, you need to be on top of that kind of stuff. So, um, but, uh, still on Mist Island, so we'll see what happens okay. next. Very cool. Yeah, but my, my conundrum is this, and this is where I throw it out to you guys, and that's, um, once this particular little uh, campaign portion is over with, the series of adventures on Mist Island, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to keep on this because it's kind of it's kind of on rails a little bit. There's not a whole lot to, um, you know, they can't really sandbox it out very well. And I'm kind of wanting to do that more. But at the same time, I really haven't pulled my players either. I mean, it's possible they like it, in which case I'm okay to go to that. And I'm just pro- and I'm just projecting, or I need to figure out a way to to get them off this these kind of rails and break them in at a uh, into a more sandbox type situation, but at a higher level 
because usually I've started sandbox type campaigns at beginner level, so that's kind of a new thing for me. So, but those are my campaign thoughts, is my it, DM thoughts. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that you feel like this adventure series that you have on Mist Island is a li- feels very rarity because one of the I guess critiques I always had of the, those games, the the actual video games, was that I didn't have a lot of guidance about what the heck I was supposed to be doing. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know, sort exactly, of the opposite. Right? Yeah, but weren't they? They were very much on the rails, though, weren't they? Like you, you, you completed puzzle one, and you went to the next big room, and mm. you know, the fixed scope of the, you know, exactly. fixed scope of the, no, the, the view. I, I, I always like felt like for most of the puzzles, you could sort of figure them out in whatever order you want, and then you get those pages, and you start getting stories out of order. Right, exactly, yeah. and it's sort of um, like I said, it's. It's like being put in a room with a bunch of different stuff, but once you know where all the stuff is in the room, there's no more mystery, and you're not going outside the room. Mm-hmm. And so it's in that fashion that I feel like it's on the rails. In other words, there's no towns, there's no fresh information coming in, mm-hmm. there's no mechanism really to explore the world like that, other than you know finding a linking book and going out somewhere altogether different. But I don't want to take it in that direction, really. I want to bring it more back down to the original campaign area, and if they want to, um, only because I just feel like you know I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm putting them on the rails if I don't have to. For a short time period, it's fine maybe. But I'm, the more I think about this, the more I don't want to do it for an extended period of time because it will detract in some way to their level of fun. So, okay. So remind me how often you guys play? About once a month. Once. So you're you're only looking mm-hmm. for what you're going to do for the next session. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you I get- mean, next. Well, next, they'll probably be in in mist. I want to get them through this part. So right. you know, through this will probably take them through spring. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, because I mean, you could pull them and find out how they're feeling about where things are and what they where they want to go and what they want to do. But right. you're only going to get one session in. And from what we learned about your group in the first episode. Um, if you were to, you know, send them emails or whatever, they probably wouldn't respond anyway. Not necessarily, yeah. So. Yeah. So you won't actually find out, you won't be able to take their temperature until the next session. Right, exactly, at the game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how does the how does the Mist Island thing fit into the, the rest of your campaign? Because it seems to be a whole different spiel. Um, it was integrated in after they got done with Thunderspire Mountain. And I took them through one of the side treks that was available at DDI. And at the end, instead... You remember the Minotaur? Uh, not the Minotaur. Well, the, the bronze Minotaur statue encounter, where it's all these fire pots, and it's kind of a trap. And then at the end room, there's like a wraith and a couple of hellhounds or something like that. I believe you. Remember? Okay. <laughs> but I didn't know if anyone had read that one. It's like a side... It's one of the side tricks that were available. Well, I took them through that, but at the end of that room, there was a linking book to... Um, Mist Island. And before that, that kind of prefaced it, this guy who looked completely unfamiliar to the area had kind of rushed up to them while they were in, in um, the Pillared Hall, Seven Pillared Hall, and kind of said, you know, you got to do this. You know, you got to find this book. you got to help me out. And he runs off and leaves and, and drops the map to this room that has the linking book in it. So that was the link to get them to the island. The whole idea was that these different missed parts would be helping to, um, as they accomplish these different things, would sort of help 
uh, what I want to use, attune them to the fact that they are going to be repairing um, the Gaia. I don't know if you guys remember from last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, and that they, and this would be one step, and maybe some of the other adventures in Mist would be other steps that would help, you know, prove their worth before they finally have to go and, and solve the real problem, which is which is fixing the, healing the world, if you will. So, um, that was the whole idea about it, and, um, which is all a big premise for me to, you know, explore Mist and see if you can do that with D&D. <laughs> and so, um... Okay. Which was a great idea, yeah, and the opportunity to make cool props and things like that. But I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons we we do things as a DM, and that was just one of the things I wanted to explore. But now that I am getting into it and the adventure and stuff, it occurs to me it's like, hmm, this is going to be pretty railroady. You know, maybe we, maybe I shouldn't, and or you know. So what's what's the story of of Miss Island then, as it pertains to your campaign? Like, how did it come about and? Who created all these things and, and the books and the, the puzzles and all that kind of stuff? All right. Well, it pretty much follows the um, the whole storyline that's in the games itself. Um, there's a guy who, by the name of Atris, who is a um, a writer, um, and he can write worlds. And when they write worlds, what they're not really what they're really doing is describing a place that really all. Are, that are really already exists. You have to assume a multiverse type of uh, mm-hmm. universe, okay? And so they write a descriptive book, and then they can link to that bo- that world. Well, um, he has two sons, and he when he, they were younger, he took them to all these different worlds and stuff. But as they got older, the sons were kind of mentally one was uh, greedy and avaricious, and the other one was like brutal and dictatorial. And so they sort of started. Um, uh, terrorizing these places when Atrus was off doing other things and um, and became tyrants and, and terrible people. Well, they finally conspired to um, to get rid of their mother and um, not kill her, but exile her to a place called Riven, which is sort of the sequel to Mist, mm-hmm. and then trap their father um, um, in Dunny, which is actually an underground city that's in on real on our Earth. <laughs> and I'm sort of giving you a big synopsis on, on mm-hmm. which you can always read about. Um, and there's great wikis for all this information, so it's like all out there. But anyway, um, the whole idea with the Mist Island is that uh, the players explore it and whether or not they release the brothers, which are trapped currently, as they find these pages, they the brothers try to convince them to release the, that brother, the, and, they, and they tell the players all along that don't release the other brother. The other brother's crazy, <laughs> and then the other brother says the same thing about the other one. The whole the whole trick is that um, you ignore both of them and you release Atris instead, or you help Atris instead, and then he comes out and destroys the linking books to the brothers' places. And so that's one thing. Atris has a daughter as well, which you don't find out about yet, and she is eventually going to be the one that will help the players and guide the players in fixing the Gaia because she is the maker. That's the name, that's her, her title. How she, title, yeah, kind of, as she, as when she gets older. Um, so that's, it, it's a pretty complex story, so it's kind of hard to sum up in like, you know, just mm-hmm. a little bit of time that I have here. But the whole idea is that each of these pieces, or as I originally envisioned it, every time that they did something in the Mist universe, it would show... Um, Yisha, who is the daughter, that the players were um, 
honor. I mean, um, not honorable enough. That's not really the word I want to use. Or worthy enough and capable enough to heal the world. And so that was the. That's kind of the gist. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can answer more specific questions, but that's overall that's about what it is. So the only actual like people to interact with are the brothers and uh, the dad on occasion. Right. You're, exactly. And that's sort yeah, of so your, that's sort of your conundrum. Yeah, because it's pretty isolated. There's no real, you know, and all of the worlds are like that because that was the nature of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really took you out of your own world and it brought you into a whole different one, and you were there to solve things by yourself. Now they can be in a group, so they can interact with themselves, obviously. But there is no, you know, you, you don't find bustling towns, you're not finding trade, you're not doing these other things that can be used as mechanisms to enrich or change up randomly things in the world. So they're kind of static places. And, and how familiar are your players with the the story of Mist? Fortunately, not very. Okay. And so that works to my advantage, mm-hmm. actually, because they, I mean, yes, and I warned them ahead of time, said, look, guys, some of these elements are going to be familiar. I've got two players that are about, oh, five or six years younger than I am, um, or maybe close to seven or eight, but they are old enough to know of the game mm-hmm. and may have played it once or twice when they were really small. But that was 95 when those when it started coming out. I mean, other re- versions have been released, but um, it's a fairly old game. And so a lot of them don't have a lot of details as to what the, uh, what the whole universe is about. And I told I warned him. I said, look, guys, yeah, you could Google this, and you're going to find all kinds of information on this world. I would encourage you not to do that mm-hmm. because it will kind of ruin some of this. It'll give you spoilers, kind of. Well, it sounds like um, they probably wouldn't yeah. be likely to do that anyway. Right, and they're and they're good. I mean, they're pretty good players. If they did do it, they haven't told me about it, right. and that's fine. I mean, if they, you know, it's quite possible they could have done it, and then they're just playing along, and I'm okay with that. I mean, you know, if everyone's, <laughs> you know, that's cool as long as everyone's uh, suspension of disbelief is there, and you know. So, how willing are you to look at themes rather than specific story from or or plot from from the original game? You know, that's a, and that's an option. Um, I, I wondered when I first started that, is like, was there a way I could work this without totally rewriting, um, you know, an entire campaign setting, which you could do. I mean, mm-hmm. you literally could do an entire campaign setting based on the Mist universe, um, including special classes and everything else, you know. Um, but I, I, I actually looked at it and said, I don't want to go to that much work. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I, I don't know that I'd go that far. But I mean, yeah. but I mean you could... It seems to me that the the mist setting is is such that you could very easily create a very sandboxy sort of situation. You know, here's a whole bunch of stuff you could go do, right? And where you go and what you do is going to determine what happens with what brother and or the dad or the the sister or whatever. You know, um, so um, creating this sort of complex interwoven. Uh, setting and, and scenario of what's going to happen um, and how it's going to happen <clears throat> without putting it on rails, but you can also then say, okay, well, you're going to, you know, you decided to use this linking book off to this little uh, island world or whatever, so, you know, that gives you enough of a heads up as to what you need to prepare so you don't have to prepare the, you know, absolutely everything in the world. Right. You know? So you're saying maybe break out of my, don't be so rigid as far as the 
um, campaign universe that I'm using mm-hmm. and maybe just adopt major elements from it instead, mm-hmm. giving it more of a, uh, you know, real life type of, a, I mean, or real life is kind of an odd way to put it, but, um, I think I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I guess I just I mean it seems to me that the setting is, I mean, you're not doing you're not in a situation where there's you know you're not going through a dungeon or and fighting through these levels and trying to get to the boss. You know, it's, right. it's not a, it's not it's it's already a system or or a, a story that right. is, that is prone to being very sandboxy. So just sort of embrace that and let them go where they want to go and, and where they're going to go and then have real life consequences. You know, maybe they don't do the thing where they ignore the brothers and they believe one of them and let him go free. Right. You know, and then there's consequences for that to deal with. Right. So hmm. thought provoking. Mike, um, Mike, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I'm more of a mechanics guy. Um, <laughs> how do you uh, talk about some of your encounters that you've designed? Um, well, uh, that was kind of a challenge, but also kind of fun, because the thing was is that um, Myst and Riven and all of the games, for that matter, um, except for the few NPCs that can cause problems down the line, there's no monsters. Um, hmm. The game does not have any kind of mechanic for, uh, I mean, and, and I'm talking about the computer games now. Yeah, right. The computer, the computer games have no monsters. There's puzzles, and um, but not even and some things that might work as traps, even though most of the time they're fairly harmless. Um, but most of the time, it's a pretty safe world. The whole idea was that around the original games was that you could explore and not have. It was about the experience of exploring. It was pure exploration. Mm-hmm. It had very little. To, it had nothing to do with you know defeating opponents or anything like that. Really. Mm-hmm. Now for D anD D, I knew that wouldn't work and that you would need some uh, additional conflict in addition to just the story because it wouldn't be real compelling for them otherwise for my right. particular players now there may be in players that that would they would just go crazy with that but i but probably I don't prob- have prob- players. and probably not the kind of players that are really in the fourth edition right probably not although i, I don't want to generalize that lest the um you I know, know. Yeah, the wars it rear their head, but I understand what you're saying. So, no, in my case, I wanted to put in some um, monsters. And so what I did was I took areas where I thought there might be the potential for that and um, and created monsters appropriate to the level for the area. Um, one of the areas is there a, there's a tunnel um, between an island um, – I mean, you go to this one island, and it looks like a big. It looks like a huge crater island, and then in the middle, there's a little island. And so, underneath the water, there's a tunnel that leaks the two. And in the game, when you go through there, you see a bunch of bats fly out. Okay, they're harmless in the game, but I decided to make them like a big swarm of um, angry, you know, mean giant bats. So that provided some conflict for the character, uh, for the, I mean, for the players, to, something to fight, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, the the brothers will are function as bosses if they're released, um, and they're pretty powerful. Um, they're pretty powerful solos since they're um, because of the nature of, of that. And then I've also created some creatures that exist solely to prevent. And I think I talked a little bit about this last time. Solely to prevent the players from going places that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or or ahead of where they sh- or where of where they should be, um, yeah. yeah. Because of the nature of the of the world, uh, you know, if there's a waterway and I don't want them swimming across because instead they need to figure out something to raise the steps. Right. I have put very giant, large sharks, you know, or or beasts like that that um, 
will cause them a huge problem if they try to swim you know, to, the, to another place instead. So those are kinds of, and I've used some as barriers like that. But, but those are, aren't so much monsters as they are environmental hazards. Those kind, yes. But I do have, mo- like I said, I, I've got monsters on each in each section because I knew that it was going to be, they were going to need something. I mean, they're thematically in tune with the area that they're found in, but otherwise have no relation to the story because they weren't in the original story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Because one of the things that, and one of the things that always sort of, drove me crazy maybe this isn't a direction you want to go um because it would change things pretty fundamentally um Mm -hmm. but one of the things uh, having played the games but never finished either one of them Mm -hmm. um i one of the things that never made a lot of sense to me was that you're exploring these worlds that you know they they talk what you you, and you even mentioned it yourself like the brothers go to different places and make themselves into tyrants and whatever Mm mm-hmm well, but you see only the after effect of right. that. Right. T- tyrants yeah. over a population that's not there. Like, who, who, yeah, are, who, exactly. are, they, who are they tyrants <laughs> over? There's right. Cl- there's clearly somebody that's supposed to be there. Why can't I find them? Right. You know, mm-hmm. that, always, that, that always drove me crazy. And maybe you, maybe you don't find them, or maybe you, you only find them on occasion. Um, and it's a really rare sort of occurrence, but that does give you some of that little intrigue, you know. So maybe you're getting some story, not, uh, some angles of the story, not from, you know, this page or that page. Of of a book, but instead you're actually getting stories of, uh, oh my gosh, this guy was here and look at and and this is all the horrible things he did, you know. It, well, I did I, uh, on a couple of the monsters. I did link them thematically like that. For example, there's a one of the worlds is called Channelwood, and there used to be a native tribe that lived in the trees or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. well, when they get there, when the players get there, there will be a horde of undead mm-hmm. that will be the remains of mm-hmm. that tribe. Okay, um, and another uh, one is in if they go to a place called um, um, Mechanical, which is the name of the world. Mechanical. Um, there is there was an incident which is recorded in the books that they have um, of these pirates in black ships attacking. Well, the black ships will return when the characters get there. So there are I have worked in some things. Mm-hmm. That um, are from the past, but I, you know, but the occasional, um, you know, lone survivor or whatever isn't a bad idea. It's something to consider. Well, and, and and the other idea that occurred to me is is you talked about the sister who's going to become important later on, and that you might start mm-hmm. running into some, you might start giving them some opportunities to to be introduced to, if not fully interact with her, you know, but but maybe on very limited sort of, uh, you know. She appears, or she's in this. In she's scared this, in this, of them in a dream already. She's so but, she has right. Yeah. So I sort of I sort of envision that you know they're like in this sort of uh, they're in this world where there's you know a TV sort of style screen or whatever, you know, and she's on there, but but you know you've got all of you know a minute and a half to talk to her, and then and then it's going to go away, you know, right? And so you right. get you get sort of this limited interaction with her, and then boom, she's gone, and it, it creates a lot of mystery, um, but maybe also enough guidance about what's going on that they can start to make their own decisions about how they want to handle it. Right. That's a good idea. Mike, any other comments? Nope. Kind of got off on another tangent. Sounds cool. (laughs) Do do you feel like you're anywhere closer to uh, being able to handle this? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) instant, instant gratification. Done. No, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, well, I mean, I want to think about some of the ideas that's been presented. Right. But you know, I, I mean, I think those are those are really good ideas. I, I, I think I, that um, I just don't know if we're giving you solutions or just yet more things to think about that aren't getting you closer to the goal. Well, and that's okay. I mean, there's actually, um, I think there's some value in just discussing, you know, options and things like that. And for the people that are listening out there, they may have a similar situation. It may not be Mist Island, but it may be, you know, they may be stuck in a similar conundrum or they're locked into their story. How do I break out of it? Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm using something from another, um, you know, from another property. Maybe I'm doing a Star Wars thing or maybe I'm doing, you know, something else. And, you know, how do I break out of, uh, you know, the the standard mold still give it enough elements that people recognize what they're doing, but, you know, make it my own or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think there's value in all that. Yeah. So, Oh yeah, I agree. If I didn't, we wouldn't do the show. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> but I also want to, I also want to be useful to you. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good ideas. All right. So I don't know if we, uh, if we got you closer to, to a solution or, or not, but, um, are you satisfied with where you're at? I am satisfied where I am at. I actually am. Okay. We'll make Mike go last so he can have whatever time is left over. <laughs> oh, great. Probably a wise decision. <laughs> oh. Mike, Mike will get like the last Man. the last five minutes. and yeah. My game's fine, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> all, we're all set here. Yeah. So I'm going to go next. Sure. Um, so when we talked last, I, I sort of gave you the – the synopsis of, of my campaign from levels 1 to 23, I think they're at now. Um, and when we left off, they had um, encountered Mistra, who was, you know, in this, con- or an avatar of her that was in this constant state of blowing up via the spell plague. Um, and so, when this, when they stopped it all, they were in the, or when this whole thing happened, they were in this temple that was stuck in between two different worlds. And when they stopped it all, they ended up on the wrong world. And so now their goal is, I imagine anyway, that their goal is going to be, we need to get back home so we can fix this thing that's going wrong and and stop all the bad guys. Okay. Um, the world they're on is a beer, which, uh, you know, in the world of Forgotten Realms, the, the world has always been called Toral, and then there's a beer, um, right. and then the spell plague happened, and, and different parts of both worlds sort of switch places. They got mashed together, didn't they? Well, they sort of talk about b- things being mashed together, but also things just sort of disappeared. So in my right. mind, I said that they switched places and that a beer is still ac- actually out there and separate. Right. So okay. it's and, and it's different in that it's a world where instead of gods, you have primordials that, that rule, you know. You know, there might be a few gods here and there, just like there's a few primordial, primordials in the normal world. Um, and that, you know, even those, even those entities, the, the primordials and the gods cannot cross over. So how is it that I'm going to get the PCs to be able to cross back over to their own world? Mm. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I've had a are few... The, are I've the primordials and gods stuck? Why, why are they stuck between... Why can't they cross worlds? Because when the world... When the, the worlds used to be one world, way back in right. like the beginning of time. Um, right. And the, the over-god, Ao divided mm-hmm. them into two worlds. Right, uh, and, and they're on and, separate planes of existence, right? They and, don't coexist. Uh, yeah, essentially, you know, you can't, okay. you can't, just, you can't go plane traveling to get there. Otherwise, the gods would just do it. You know, okay. um, so they're they're blocked from being able to to cross over to each other. Now there is a there is a um, a, a 
plane, I guess, in in Forgotten Realms lore, called the the Sinisher, which is sort of this meeting place of the gods, mm-hmm. and it's where Ao sort of comes and appears uh, on occasion to the gods um, to give them his random, well, not random, his occasional guidance, n- nudges of no, don't do, don't <laughs> Let's do that. Be real, it is kind of random. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever an author decides to use that 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 mechanism, right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I d- it did occur to me that they could maybe. Since that is a place where Ao can appear, they could sort of follow Ao's conduit, if you will, to get from one to the other through Sinisher. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and the, the the guardian, the, the wards or whatever around Sinisher might be weaker right now because of what's going on in the world, and all the gods are focused on that and not really paying attention to, to the planes uh, a lot right now. Um, I also considered at one point throwing in um, a multi-parted artifact to get them to, to run around in this new world for a little bit okay. that that would be maybe even something from the maybe something from Farron that ended up in Toral in the in the switch you know and i was thinking you know like a like a rod of seven parts sort of thing okay which would be specifically helpful to to dealing with primordials Hmm. And would help them along their path, but really, this is me just spitballing random ideas, and I haven't quite figured out how to put piece it all together and get them back to the world where 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 I have a story ready to go. Yeah, I sort of threw this, this out there as as a roadblock to them, knowing it would also be a roadblock to me. Figuring it would force me to be creative and figure it out, and then I yeah, just, somehow you're going to have to come up with something. And, and then I ended up taking like six months off and, and so not, not, not so thinking about it. So you kind of adventured it. yourself into a corner, then is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and it's not really a corner, but I adventured myself into yeah. a situation where I, I didn't have a plan on how to get out of it. And now, yeah, you, but that it, that can be a lot of fun, though. Like, I mean, there's there's a few there's a few things that I mean, one is when you when you're dealing with gods and primordials in particular, you have the whole Dawn War idea going mm-hmm. on. Or did you stick to older older ideas for the gods and primordials? Um, it hasn't that hasn't been specifically explored. Now the the vision sort of in my head is that the reason that Abir and Toril were, were split was that was Ao's solution to the Dawn War. Okay. It wasn't that one side wanted the other. It was you know I'm going to call a ceasefire and send you both to your own corner where you can't fight anymore. Right. Because there's there's you know as part of the Dawn War and and the Astral Sea, there's a lot of like ancient lost artifacts and chambers mm-hmm. and weapon systems and all sorts of things that existed between the gods and the primordials back during the dawn war they're now abandoned in the astral sea you know there's these old planets that are completely devoid of all life that are just floating there lost in the sea and i mean you know it's kind of a cheap there's a lot of cheap solutions to, mm-hmm. to the problem. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, my like there's an old tunnel that, that someone forgot about where there's an actual portal that lets you walk between them, and there's an artifact that lets you do it. And the problem is you could just make something up like that. Right. Um, and I, and, and that, that was my original plan. It's better to tie it. I mean, yeah. my, my original plan was it was going to be a one-session thing, and they were going to be able to get back. You know, They'd have to do something and, and fight a primordial and then... You know, activate a portal yeah, from or activate old, a portal from both sides, yeah. and we do a flash sideways sort of where they played yeah. NPCs in the other world. And I still might use that. I kind of like the idea of of them playing NPCs from yeah. from Inferon in order to yeah, enable, right. enable what they're that's doing. Yeah. Um, but I still haven't pieced together how that's all going to fit. So yeah, yeah. The other one is, um, I mean, Sigil is an obvious choice too because Sigil's got. You know, I think there's there's two places in the multiverse that I know of that have tons and tons of portals, and it's the Demon Web Pits because Loth has, you know, a million portals to a million different worlds, right? And Sigil, which has a million portals to a million different worlds, and they are 
all over the place and they often get lost and there's often like weird things that you have to do like you know jump off a building at a certain time of day and fall towards a barrel and before you hit the barrel you're teleported somewhere you know there's there's all kinds of weird ones that even the gods wouldn't necessarily remember but some like little notable halfling in in sigil might actually remember you know, or it could be information. They could be chasing down scams. People are trying to sell them a way to get back, but there actually isn't. That's if you bring sigil in. But as soon as you bring sigil in, well, now you got a whole new world that you're right. doing. Right? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't really planning on going. To, I wasn't. Right. I wasn't going to go too plain crazy. Yeah, right. Or, or right. as soon as you add sigil in, it, 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 it shifts right. the. And, yeah, and I was going I mean, the, the focus of the entire campaign has really been on the world and dealing right. with the planes that deal with the world, you know? Um, and so that's why I, I like the idea of, right. using, of right. using Sinister because yeah. it, it is really lore-focused and, and connected to those worlds. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Is there, are there any, like, threads from their heroic days that you could kind of restring back in that might you know, have some ability or connection for them to get back an old artifact that they found or an old, an old dungeon that they went mm. through long ago that maybe they could, you know, kind of re rediscover and re reuse as a, Ooh. a way back. You know what that you made me think of something that I really like. Um, the very first adventure, the very first dungeon they did, which I called the bug cave because mm-hmm. it was literally, it was a bunch of bugs themed creatures um it concluded in a room that was a shifted location from a beer mm-hmm. with with the, with this really powerful magical obelisk in the middle of it and and they couldn't they never really figure out exactly what all it did but they knew it blocked the magic of Thay. it allowed them to be there and sort of uh under some protection where they wouldn't be scr- right. scried on and found and, and all this kind of stuff and i'd always planned on making it sort of a base of operations where they'd come back to and it never quite happened so it's out there and it's from level one um, right. and that could be really useful um the other thought i had was and this is paragon not not um heroic so maybe a little less nostalgic but one of my characters um has an artifact called uh, godsbane which has some lore to it Mm-hmm. Um, Godsbane was originally actually the god of thieves mask in disguise and, mm-hmm. and was used to kill some other gods and, and has some stories behind it or whatever um, in, in the current incarnation it's not actually even mask now um, it's Syric posing as mask, right. po- posing as a sword right. <laughs> and it's Syric's way of, of because Syric has it in his head if they bring Mistra back then I can't be in trouble for having killed her, and they'll have to let me go, mm-hmm. right? Because he's he's been imprisoned by the gods for killing Mistra. Well, if she's not dead, he gets to go free because he's insane, and that's the way he thinks, hmm. right? And so he's actually helping them because because it meets his own needs. Right. Now, Siric being a god in tied, you know, in the avatar form of the sword, has now made the jump. Right. To the world that he's not supposed to be able to go to. Right, right. Now, I, I either thought I would then have, just have the sword turn off, but I could also not have it turn off, obviously, and turn it into a possible connection. Um, when they first got Godsbane, they were chased by a primordial known as Kezef the Chaos Hound, who has a long history of, of wanting to eat. It's a big dog that wants to eat a uh, mask. And so... Kezif just sort of assumed that the sword was still masked and wanted to come and eat him. They don't. Right. They don't realize that. They just realize the dog is chasing him ever since they got that sword. Hmm. So there's there's some possible threads. Maybe Kezif, may, you know, being a primordial, manages to to jump through the, those those barriers, and they can find some way to chase him back. Right. Um, 
Are and, there any gods or primordials that had the ability to go back and forth before they died? Between the two worlds? Yeah. Are there any that had that ability other well, than Neo? I mean, yeah, the, the two worlds didn't... The concept of the two worlds in the Forgotten Realms didn't exist until 4th edition. Right. You know? So, oh, okay. So there's no established precedent for that. Not okay. not that we couldn't establish such a precedent. But. Right. The thought, it occurred to me that I thought it, might, it would be cool if one of the old artifacts that you were talking about, or or even a even a, what they think is just an ordinary magic item, um, what if it is something that they have to act... You know, because there's always like these... They always talk about these dead bodies of like gods mm-hmm. and stuff floating around in either the Astral Sea or the Primordial soup or whatever it is, and um, it, it, to activate this being with this item, you know, like literally, you know, maybe it's its heart or something, you boom, puts it in, activates this god that now can move back and forth, although it's not, he's not like a real, it's not like a real conscious entity in and of itself, but mm-hmm. it has become now a means of, of transportation Plus, you know, you're like walking around on the body of a giant god, you know, but, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you know what, what actually makes that even cooler is that my vision of – and th- this is where my players shouldn't be listening in case you're out there. Um, <laughs> tune out now. Yeah, or it was tune out a while ago, but still. Yeah, right. um, um, This is where that works out really well because um, my vision of the last encounter of the entire campaign since before I started the campaign was a battle with Zaztam on the body of a god that he was using to to try to turn himself into an overgod. Hey, yeah, yeah. And so it it can at least establish at level 23 the precedent of what Zaztam is going to be doing at level 30. Oh, yeah, exactly. A little foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. So, and and, and even – I could even use – the body of a god who died prior to the, or in the Dawn War, right? So Ao never blocked this god from being able to travel back and forth because he's dead. So what's the point? Hmm. You know, why block a god who's not alive from being able to go back and forth between the two worlds? Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that could be a loophole that they, that the part the PCs find, and then use the sword that has a shard of a, a god in it to at least awaken it enough. To to transport them, right? Not fully, but just enough to yeah. Okay, so the slumbering giant kind of a thing. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I, yeah, I, it sounds I, neat. I have have some, you got some good ideas, Jeff? I have some seeds. All right. Yeah, I think I think tying back when anytime you're able to kind of go back to old places, it brings up a lot of nostalgia, and it also makes you really look like you're you got your game together, like mm-hmm. you've been planning it the whole time. You mm-hmm. know, like oh yeah, when in fact it just you know kind of yeah. Turns yeah. Out. And now what? And see, I, I keep going along this, trying to just flesh this out. Don't blow head. it. If somebody says like, "Hey, did you plan this?" You just don't say anything. Yeah, about. yeah. See, I'm, and I'm wondering maybe that that place in the bug cave that they always thought was from. Um, a beer was actually a fragment of sinisher that sort of mm-hmm. got sheared away, right. and that becomes their their conduit in. It's all coming. Yeah. It's all coming together. All these dis- cool. di- disparate threads are starting yes. to come together. Yeah, so now, it's interesting how the threads come together. So, Mike, yes. here's, here's the question for you. Yes, what do they have to kill along the path to get this done? Oh, that's a good question. Well, <laughs> I mean, primordials. What, what level? Are, what level are you? Twenty-three. Are you, and what's your plan? The plan- you taking them all the way up? Uh, yeah, yeah. The plan is to get them all the way up. Now, I have s- several you know, levels worth of stuff that they need to do back on the world before we get to the end. Right. So, 
it doesn't yeah, the hard the hard part is trying to come up with things that are worthy of them right like you can't ever like every room they walk into has a bunch of skeletons that are level 22 i mean what you know what made those guys epic tier which is usually why epic level stuff ends up going to the outer planes because in my mind it makes a lot more sense when you go to Thanatos that you're loaded with skeletons that are level yeah. 22. See, I've avoided that by actually having the gods just come to the world. So Yeah, well that helps. So they yeah, can be creating right. they can be creating things. I mean, you know, who so is your primary antagonist still Zastam or is it yeah, yeah. Do you have other antagonists as well? No, no. I have other antagonists. Uh, Zastam is playing Bane and Orcus. Oh really? As part of his oh, goals, wow. yeah. So I mean, against you each know, other, you mean? Um, Off of, you mean against each other? Or? He's playing them both towards his own goals, and both of them think that they're playing him, and not realizing the other one's involved. Oh, okay. oh that's interesting. So Bane and Orcus are both helping Zaztam, but neither neither Bane nor Orcus are necessarily fully aware of everything that's going on. It could be kind of fun to have multifactional, you know, multifactional enemies coming after them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bane, I guess you're going to get a lot of the most powerful kind of goblinoid and humanoid stuff. Right. But I guess I'm thinking of Grimash. I don't know. Who worships Bane? Bane is the uh, Lord of Tyrants, so a lot of people worship Bane. Yeah, yeah. And so you might have kind of, I mean, what, what would be, Orcus is easy. You know, Orcus, right. you know, can come up with epic tier Orcus guys, but the, I don't know. They, what, they actually are, they are, they've already Giants, killed, maybe? they've already killed one of the exarchs of, of Bane. Yeah. Uh, but none of that's helpful in a beer. I need to figure out who, what they're going to fight on their way to try to get through a beer. Mm. You know, because, because, the gods, because the gods aren't there. Those gods aren't there. It's completely new and, and, and alien. Sort now, of, are the uh, primordials on the other side, are they in a beer? Yes. Um, so you can add a lot of lore. There's a lot going on with primordials mm-hmm. um, and a lot of different kinds of primordials. Uh, not to pitch a Watsi book, but at the new upcoming Elemental Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. Mm-hmm has a big section about different primordials um, that are going on. In fact, uh, I think the table of contents is out for it. There is a couple of primordials. I don't know how they would get to a beer. The problem is they're off in their own thing. So the two elemental princes, um, uh, Yancy Ben and Allhydra, that are going to be written up. Um, you could probably reskin them, though, yeah, into some kind of powerful, powerful primordials. Are demons uh, considered primordials at this point? No, they're they're different. Demons are their own type. Okay. Um, uh, but you could have a couple like you know ancient primordials that are kind of buried in, and the monsters that kind of come out of them. You know the monsters yeah. that are. That are uh, I guess I guess I'm less worried about the specific monsters that I would have them fight, and right. just, just the con- the, con- the concept of of why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I can have. I mean, okay, so they got to get to this this body of a dead god, right? Um, so how are they going to get? How are they going to do that? Maybe the maybe the body of the dead god isn't floating through the astral sea like like we've often heard that they do, but maybe this one is has specifically been taken as as a treasure. You know, maybe it just maybe it's just lodged. Well, how did the this, dead? Uh, how did the god the die? I don't, my vision was the god died in, in the dawn war. I mean, was he? So he, was he killed by a primordial? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, so you might have a, a waste. Well, again, are, you, it's, are they diving into the astral sea at all, or is this going to be a dead god that's in? It could be either one. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you could kind of go to that war torn. You, you want to fill it out because it's pretty hard to, you know, make a, a war torn battle land kind of planet real interesting. Um, but I always like the idea of the million-year-old ruins and million-year-old battlegrounds, and particularly if you have a, maybe a trapped primordial 
who was bound to that battleground after slaying the god or whatever, you know, that it's still alive even though the god is dead. And it was the, you know, the the, the nemesis of that, you know, the nemesis of that god is still there. Mm-hmm. And it's managed to pull all kinds of beasts from all over the place to kind of bring it out. So, sort of like a mini Tharzadun, you know, that... You know, Tharzadun oh, yeah. exists in this pocket world and he's got every, you know, and all of Elder- these different... Mm-hmm. Yeah, elder elemental demon yeah. princes and stuff trying to free him. So maybe this is a primordial who's, who's trapped or entombed or imprisoned or whatever. Maybe the other gods, you know, a lot of things is like you can't just necessarily kill gods and demons. You kind of or the gods and primordials. You have to sometimes trap them because you can't do anything else. Right. So, so um, I, now I have sort of have this vision of 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 a old you know a battlefield that's been from a battle that's been raging for a million years or whatever and this god is there or, or this primordial is there and he's been trapped there he's been cursed there by whoever until this god is destroyed and, you know that's that's the language the god is destroyed so he's just constantly there tearing into the body of this god and it just won't go away you know yeah, no matter yeah. how much he no matter how much gore he pulls off of it no matter how many limbs he throws off or whatever you know the the god's body just continues to be there and whole right 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 and, yeah um is your group dungeon delvey at all, or do they kind of prefer, you know, more story based adventures from from session to session? Um, they'll do some dungeon delvey stuff. Uh, I try to keep my dungeons pretty short. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, uh, you know, the 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 tumor chambers of this of this you know of this primordial might can, might make for an interesting dungeon and. You know, one of the things that I've been toying a lot with are like these old tombs and chambers and prisons that the gods have created, and they've put all sorts of wards and protections in place to ensure that no nobody else is going to go in there. But maybe the idea is that the primordial actually possesses something that the party needs to get in order to accomplish whatever goal they have. So they have to get through these trials of the gods in order to actually get to the primordial. And that, that gives you lots of options for traps and hazards and puzzles and all sorts of things that the gods have kind of put in the way to make sure that they... They, there is a path to get to them if they need to, but no one else will be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I always, I always kind of dig those as the super high level, super high level dungeons or something that are kind of interesting to me. How and, much? Uh, oh, sorry, didn't mean it. No, that's okay. Go ahead, um, Jeff. How much description have you done of the Sinisher and stuff like that? Uh, have they looked around a lot? Almost none. Okay, one of the things and. First, Mike's idea is totally cool. Go with it. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. The idea of a war-torn type of area that they have to explore and stuff is a f- that's like millions of years old is is pretty cool. The other thought that had occurred to me that if you haven't done a lot of description, um, is building like the god's body into it in the form of you know there's a mountain here and there's kind of a ridge line here and while if you don't if you look at it just little pieces pieces at a time it looks natural or it looks like it's just part of the scenery but if you look at it from a distance you see that it's the body of a god stretched out there and there's maybe even a face and people go like you know yes ordinary schmoes and they go ah you know it's just mountains whatever but you know maybe they have to find somebody that knows the truth, or, or they don't, or they suspiciously don't answer the question, or they talk around the question, and then for, and you find an excuse for the players to get a broad perspective, like either by flying or whatever, and they notice, oh wow, that's the body of a god. So that's just a thought that occurred to me. Well, yeah, and and they could maybe even have to go to a specific place in the god, you know, get to the heart, and that's where they can awaken right. the power of the god to, to transport themselves or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have the uh, astral sea source book? Yeah, yeah. 
plane do above. I, so do, I, do page... I have the source book? Is there, a, is there a source book I don't have? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you're not familiar with this show that I do. Yeah. <laughs> Touch of jackasses on that show. Um, on page 110 to 113, there is a mini scenario called The Monolith Stirs, which is about an old... Uh, I think it's a body of a god. Cool. Uh, it looks like a body. You know, there's one fight on a big hand, and there's another fight in the back of a head. I'm not sure if it's a god. I, I was trying to remember. I, I thought I, they call it the Golden Monolith, though. So maybe it's maybe it's a giant statue. Um, it's right around their level range, though. It's mm-hmm. uh, 27, and all the monsters will need to be uh, recalculated. Sure, sure. Mostly for damage. Um, but it looks like the scenario itself would work. But I, I thought there was another, another. Maybe I'm thinking Plane Below had it, where there was another one where there was a whole scenario about walking around in the body of a god. You know, it was a, a god that was dead, and half its body was floating around, and there was a whole series of it, of kind of you know encounters that it took place. Wasn't one that the BDI is, one? It's no, well, maybe that's been done a couple of times. We're pretty sure this one was in right. a book. Oh, okay. I just don't remember which one. In fact, you know what? I I, I want to say that uh, one of the James brothers worked on it because I remember Matt James talking about it. Maybe, talk, talk yeah. So Matt. maybe it was in Demonomicon or something like that because I think Brian James worked on Demonomicon. Demon, um, but one of the other things is kind of turning the body of the god into a dungeon crawl. Maybe the body of the god actually contains the primordial or a piece of the primordial that actually slew him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, idea. now you've got to kind of navigate through the body of the god in order to face the thing that slew him in the first place. Well, and I sort of like the idea that, that the primordial is there, wandering around, constantly tearing into this, this god. Yeah, and right. Trying, like trying to destroy it. Right. But, but it also means that you don't know when you're going to run into him. Like, it's a mobile boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I think it's Imix is in the monster. Imix in the Monster Manual three. Um, you know, Imix always makes for a good one, or at least for a good. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so I have this idea then that that they managed to get to the heart of this dead god, um, and then by using the the sword, give it enough, give the heart enough of a spark uh, to wake it up enough that they can transport themselves. To Sinisher specifically, and from there they can find sort of that leak into the old bug cave from level one, yeah, where Sinisher sheared off during the spell plague. But to stop, you know, just anybody from being able to wander into the Sinisher, there are guardians there as well, and I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of, of powerful angels and that kind of stuff. Yeah, actually, um, uh, Monster Manual I think has these guys. Um, again, you have to recalculate, but they sure. looked cool. To, what the hell were they? They were like. Big beasts that were used by the gods, the high, super high level, that were kind of guardians of the god. You know, they're almost like gods, golems. Hmm. Uh, I'm going through it now, and I can't remember what they were called. Um, there's a lot of great monsters in this book that are totally forgotten. Um, but they made. I think I've used them from time to time, and they look very cool. Oh, that's going to bug me. Um, Godforged Colossus. Godforged Colossus. Page 44. Oh, wow. That sounds like a mess. Well, yeah. Oh, man. And I look, look at me. I even rewrote all their, their stuff. So they are 29 elite boots. Yeah, I, I, hand, I took a Sharpie to it, and I fixed it all with a Sharpie. Um... Pretty straightforward, large brutes, but they would they would be good guardians for the party to have to get past mm-hmm. in Sinisher. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that they would be like, look, nobody's supposed to be here but the gods. You know, and, and you know, made two of these guys would make for a great 
you know, tough fight. Right on. Um, it looks like they daze. You might have unstunned, so you want to watch out on the status effects. Yeah, they're 23rd level. I don't worry about them anymore. The, the PCs. I don't. Oh, yeah, they, they have, everyone's got epic will or whatever. They've Superior will. They're, they're 23rd level. I don't worry about them anymore. I learned that from, from a book I read once. <laughs> yeah, just uh, daze and stun can suck, though. I mean, you know, damage is always good, but daze and stun, if they don't have a way to get out of it, it's just all it does is make the battle long. Yeah, so. that's true. So change, yeah. change, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a good. You could re, you know some pretty easy rebuilds to redo the math on the God's Forge Colossus and then change their days and stun to uh, combat advantage and damage vulnerability, so that like you know every time they gave it that stun, they're minus four to defenses and, and vulnerable twenty to damage, and it'll scare the hell out of them. Yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> then they get hit. And they get hit for ninety-seven damage. Like, ah! <laughs> so I love that's my new favorite thing is getting rid of. Turn stealing status effects and replace them with uh, vulnerability and, and defense. And just defense more damage. You're such yeah. a mean, mean man, Mike. No, I mean, yeah, but, they, they, <laughs> trust me, they hate days and stun far worse. Right, but yeah. and, and Mike's method actually speeds up the combat, whereas days and, and, and stun slow it down. Up, right. It well, that's the, true. That's true. It keeps the uh, it keeps the threat real high, and they're still worried, but they don't lose any they don't lose any turns. Mm-hmm. So right on. I think I'm good. I think I've got enough to keep me busy at least through the month, if not beyond. So cool. So I think it's Mike's turn. We have uh, eight minutes. Go. Eight minutes. Awesome. We, <laughs> um, so we, we, we in, can go a little long. It's okay. I'm running three different campaigns simultaneously. My group is weekly, and the three campaigns are um, a playtest of some stuff for other people, a playtest of stuff that I'm writing, and my Gloomrock campaign. Um, so the... One of the playtests is super low level. One of the playtests is super high level, like level thir- beyond level 30. Actually, it's about 25, and it keeps jumping around. Like, it's going from 25 to 30 and then back to 25 again. So they're getting jacked all over the place. But um, I don't want to talk about any of those. I want to talk about the Gloomrot one right. because uh, that's my most straightforward, you know, normal campaign. Plus, it's not a it's not a playtest. It's not a playtest, right? <laughs> right. Um, the uh, the Gloomrot one... Uh, I started at level eight. I think I talked about it last week, right? Uh-huh. Um, so they're in they're in Gloomrot. The whole thing is taking place in Gloomrot. They were raised from the dead. Then they don't know why they were buried in the ground for fifty years or something like that. And then suddenly one day, grave robbers are digging them up, and they wake up during the grave. You know when the grave robbers dig them up, and they come awake, and they don't know why. And uh, they've been going through a bunch of different plots and things. I don't know if you guys have read the Gloomrot. Uh, uh, the Gloomrot books, the Shadowfell mm-hmm. Gloomrot books. A little like bit, that. yeah. They're very NPC focused, very kind of story and NPC focused, so mm-hmm. there's not a lot of adventure location, there's not a lot of dungeon crawling. There's some There's some locations that I've used for dungeon crawls. My group likes dungeon crawls, they like to fight stuff. Um, but this one, I really wanted to keep it more of a uh, kind of a sinister, dark city. I, actually, uh, uh, is there, there's a movie called Dark City? Is there it is. Yeah, that's the one about the aliens that have uh, kind of messing with people. No, I've never seen it. Uh, First, I've heard of it, so <laughs> I know of it. I know of it because people have told me a lot about it. But I've uh, yes. So all right, it's about a guy who can't remember anything, and as he goes through it, it finds out that nobody remembers anything, and then it turns out the whole city is floating around in a giant petri dish in space. Um, oh, so I, nice. just, I just ruined the movie for you. Man, it. spoiler uh, alert! Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. You know, I want to see the Rift Tax version now. So. Yeah, right, right. So, the, um, the, but that the atmosphere of that 
movie, I think probably has a lot of influence over Gloomrod because Gloomrod's kind of got that same thing where the city is constantly shifting and changing. Buildings are dropping. Buildings are being raised. Mm -hmm. And there's this strange creatures called the Keepers that walk around kind of fixing stuff. And nobody knows who they are or why they're there. Mm -hmm. Um, So the latest thing is that my group found out my group found out that the prince of the city, the guy that runs the city, is named Prince Roland, and he's lived for hundreds of years. And he is ultimately responsible for their murders. That he ordered his guys, the Crimson Sashes, to uh, wipe out these uh, noble houses that were going to rebel against him. And the party, through various, uh, you know, various circumstances, ended up either being caught in the middle or were members of those other noble houses. And they were all killed 60 years ago and brought back. So they believe that they're... I don't know if they even believe this, but their primary goal now is we want to either dethrone and or kill Prince Roland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tricky bit is Prince Roland's hundreds of years old. Uh, in mechanical terms, he's level 21, and they're only level 14 or 13. So they're in the process of trying to hunt down all of the different phylacrities that he has that are sustaining his existence. And, you know, in a, in a pretty big ripoff of Harry Potter... He's got black these, I think it was five or six of them, that are distributed throughout Gloomrod. He has to keep them nearby, but he doesn't want to keep them on him. Mm-hmm. And each of these flacrities kind of contains an essence of his soul and his power. And as they get destroyed, he becomes weaker. So essentially, every time they destroy one of these, he drops a couple levels sure. until they can get him to a point where they can go beat him. So the nice thing is they can decide, okay, we've gotten enough of them. Let's go give them a shot. Or they can say, we want to get them all before we go after them. And how many have they gotten so far? They have gotten two now. So, uh, and it's, I think it's a two of five. There are five total and they have two. So there are three remaining. And do they have to destroy them or do they have they, to each one of them, um, Each one of them is a, uh, a rare magic item that was chosen by the player for their character as their kind of epic weapon. So the idea is that each of them kind of said, well, here's this thing, like one of them picked a uh, dancing, a plus five greater dancing, or plus uh, whatever, I think plus four greater dancing weapon. No, plus three greater dancing weapon. One picked a phylacrity of faithfulness. One picked a um, skull. So it's all the stuff they really wanted. It's all the stuff they really wanted. And you say, here it is, now destroy it. Well, they had no, no, because that would be really that would be really awesome <laughs> and <No>. cruel. Um, <laughs> and beyond just them kind of saying, "I like this because it's mechanically cool," they actually had to kind of come up with a reason why their character had this thing, like why it, why it was destined for them. Um, and the, and some of them didn't even choose. Like I think only four of them. No, only three of them actually chose one. So two of them are are they're just going to get, um, but they're pretty powerful magic items. Um, so the idea is when they get it, his soul is in it, but they can rip the soul out, and then the item is still powerful, and now it no longer is tied to uh, you know the, the the energy that that mm-hmm. Prince Roland had put into it. The tricky part I have now is I always the, one of the ways I always like to run my campaigns is instead of saying like where's the story going or what's the party going to do, I like to think about it from the perspective of the NPCs and the antagonists and what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And the main thing that I figured out is. Um, uh, that so Prince Prince Roland and his he has a consort named Fiera and Fiera is, or Feria and Feria is a um, 
what are those races called that have past lives? Diva. Diva. She's a diva. And she's real sharp, right? She knows lots of things. She's kind of a seer herself. So she she has now discovered, now that the second of the, the first phylacrity could have been a mistake, right? Like the first, they, they, you know, his power was drained and um, her, her, his captain of the guard was murdered in a bar and the sword is gone. That, and the sword was one of his phylacrities. Mm-hmm. But now the second one just got discovered. So now she knows, okay, Something's the guard up. captain was killed. The Raven's Eerie was just sacked, and the and the and the priestess of the Raven's Eerie was killed, and the second of his faculties, somebody's going after them, and I and and she probably knows who. So the big thing I've got is like, what's you know, his captain of the guard's not dead, or his his mercenary captain. Like he has two different ones. He's got like his regular guard, which are known as the Deathless Watch, and he has his mercenary group known as the Crimson Sashes. And the Crimson Sashes just basically that got dethroned, right? The 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 head is dead. So his main like troubleshooting assassin group that he would send out is gone. Mm-hmm. And but they and now he found out that the second one, the Raven's Eerie group was wiped out too so he and uh, feria and he both know that the party is going after his phylacrities and it's his turn he's got to start doing something to stop this but i don't know what exactly he would do like i haven't figured out what resources he has available to him well what, he- i mean and what what he's gonna do is is could be very straightforward i mean it could be that now he's coming after him so the, the the real question you have is if he's coming after them how does he how does he not just kill him See, I I think he's afraid. I don't I don't think he's particularly courageous. Like he's not a real sinister, active villain. He's kind of a fop mm-hmm. who just happens to have all of this power tied to him, and he's a sharp fop who always surrounded himself with really powerful people, like his consort. Sure. Um, and I've got some kind of neat ideas for the consort. One of the one of the components that I have in my game is I, I threw in a bit of Inception. Um, so that the party can use a scrying pool to enter the dreams of people that they want to mess with mm-hmm. either to discover information or to do it and one of the uh scenarios i'm thinking about is that if they if they try to fight yeah feria herself i think it was like level 18 so if they try to fight her directly she's going to be pretty tough so they might decide instead of going after her directly we're going to have to go through her dreams and if they go into her dreams they're going to find a million combined dreams that have been packed together mm-hmm. um, you know there's going to be a million versions of her and she her dreams are so deep and so weird that you know they're going to be in a pretty bad state. So I think that might for, make for a really interesting encounter because I think they're actually going to do some fights in her dreams to try to break down her side. Now, here's here's my thought. What I mean, what if Prince Roland, maybe not himself, but he's sending his agents out to hunt them down? Yeah, but his agents are dead. <laughs> All of them? He doesn't have anybody left. He's I don't. He never had like his number one set is gone. I think he might have to hire out, and I think sure. I know what he might hire out. Sure, but but in any case, uh, in in. Here's the idea that I had is that, you know, the, the PCs are fa- facing some people hunting them down, right? And eventually they're going to get caught and eventually they're going to be overwhelmed, you know, right? What if the keepers sort of subtly help the PCs – are helping the PCs hide? Right. You know, not like, hey, over here, but, you know – well, they've actually a, a, keep, yeah, a, keep, a keeper sort of goes through a door once when you're being chased, and when you go through it, it it locks behind you or disappears behind you, and they you know you get away or you know. So the keepers are sort of subtly help subtly helping. Right. They and, they they've got a pretty good hiding place now. They've got a they you know they've they found their um they found the former master of uh, um of their family 
who is now a lich that lives in the basement of an old decrepit house, and the lich has created this thing that uh, um, the lich has created this thing that uh, 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 makes sure that the house can't be discovered. Okay, so and that 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 makes for a nice uh, home base, but you also want to get, give him some threat here and there, right? Right. So, um, p- p- part of what I was wondering is how loyal does Furia have to be? Well, this so I've got lots of interesting stuff for her. She's actually, and this is all in the book. Okay. That um, she's actually, you know, she's a diva. But one of the one of the diva things, um, uh, one of the divas uh, uh, have Rakshasa as potential uh-huh. like antagonists. And you know, a, a diva who goes bad can actually turn into a rakshasa. So she's been trying to find her old lover from many, many lives ago. And it turns out her, her lover is actually in Gloomrod and is a rakshasa posing as a member of another house. And I think that's a little bit of inception that might take place where the, the party could find that out and try to plant it in her, which will break her away from Prince Roland. She also is the possessor of one of the three remaining phylacrities. So, so that will separate them. Where are the other two? Uh, the other two are, one of them is held by one of the brothers of the Charnel Fangs, which is a group of vampires that work for Prince Roland. They're kind of his cleaning crew. You know, when things go really bad, he sends in one group to go wipe everybody out and the other group to clean up the mess. And they're the, they're the cleaners. Um, and it's a great sword. One of them holds a great sword that okay. uh, uh, is one of his phylacrities. And then the, the third is inside the heart of the statue known as the Dark Lady. Uh, which is a centerpiece, and that one is actually not protected by any kind of villain. But I have a feeling that that's going to be a central point for ambushes against sure. the party. So, so I guess here's here's my vision, and, and completely ignore it if you want. Um, but as I'm hearing it, this is the kind of interesting twist that I'm thinking of: is that you've set up, you've sort of set up Furia as this lieutenant, the second in co- the second in command villain. Yeah, she's you know? a con- right. She's she's Prince Roland's lover and consort, and we don't right. really know why she's even bothering with such a fop like him. But and part of me thinks that she's doing it because she's actually manipulating him. There's something she wants right. out of him, and and, right. and she's maybe actually playing both sides. She's right. she's actually manipulating the PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe and and part of me wonders if she doesn't have whether permanently or temporarily some sort of subtle hold over the keepers, and so she's using them to manipulate mm. the PCs. Yeah, and, that and, could be. And maybe that you know maybe and maybe each one of them is is a you know uh, a memory of of a, of one of her former lives or whatever. Right, you know, right. Uh, and and that plays into you know the craziness when they get into her head as well too, because right. it's not just her head; it's just it's her head and all of the keepers, uh, you know, and, and what have you as well. And so maybe she's she's trying to to do. You know, maybe she wants to see Roland dead, mm-hmm. and, and she's using the PCs to get rid of him. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got some. You know, the, one one of the other tricks with this is I'm trying to end I'm trying to end the mini campaign. You know, like, we're, we're getting so kind of rape, roped into all these other activities and everything like that, and I feel like this one has stretched on a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been fun, and I've enjoyed it, but I'm also kind of ready to end it in the next, you know, three to four sessions. So I'm trying to tie together the loose ends, but I don't... And I have kind of an easy outline of, like, you know, they go after Flackerty 1, Flackerty 2, Flackerty 3, and then they go after the prince, you know, and... But I want to make sure that it's not getting lost that while, you know, the prince isn't just sitting in his castle waiting for them to destroy his phylacrities and then they go kill him, that he's on the move and that maybe Fiera, maybe Fairy is also on the move and that she's, you know, he's maybe either 
warning the Crimson's, they're warning the Toronto Fangs that they're coming after him, or maybe he's hiring one of the other groups like the Tenebris Cabal, Cabal, which is another major factor, major faction, and maybe he's, you know, going to work with them. Um, I don't know about the Keepers. Like, I, I, I had a whole thing where there's a thing called, I think it's called the Shadowmire, or the, the Blackheart, Shadowheart, or something like that, but it's the, there's like a, a, a beating heart in Gloomrot, right? Like, Gloomrot's always supposed to be its own kind of antagonist, mm-hmm. and it has a heart, and you can actually go after it. And the idea is the Keepers would try to destroy you if you went after it. Sure. And the party knew about this, but decided they decided as a group that, you know, destroying Gloomrod is not okay. high on their list. Yeah, their goal is Prince Roland. Um, so I didn't want to try to shoehorn back in the Keepers another way. Now, there might be some way where maybe, maybe Fiera figures out how to trick the Keepers into, you know, uncovering the lair. I always hate messing with people's headquarters, though. Um, but you know, maybe the keepers kind of figure un- unmask where they've been hiding all this time and that now time is of the essence, you know, for them to finish what they're doing and, and finish it out or else, uh, you know, they're going to get destroyed by some, by one group or another. What if she's so. using, what if she's, I don't know what, maybe she's using her phylactery, uh, you know, or her one of of Roland's phylacteries to manipulate. Yeah, she's got mani- that. She to, has the to manipulate seven the heart. Deaths is hers. Okay, so maybe she's using that to manipulate the heart or to manipulate the keepers at the heart. You know. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's kind of been the channel of the energy of the city that's been pouring into Roland, mm-hmm. which has been keeping him alive. Like he's you know, or one of them. Right. All the phylacteries are kind of antenna. You know, antennas of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she can what? start to try to subtly manipulate that. What if at the last moment? The ally, the Roland decides he wants to ally with the player characters against his mistress. Well, I don't think she's a primary. Like they, they don't care about her, right? I mean, and, and I don't think I'm going to do any major change where it turns out that she was actually responsible for their deaths and he wasn't. I think I'm going to keep the villain. You know, like I want to keep. No, that I wouldn't. Straight. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say change that. I mean, he still was responsible for their deaths, but you've already seemed right. to intimate that. She's the one that's manipulating all the things behind the scenes. So, obviously, she has some kind of agenda. What if at the last minute he says, whoa, 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 I found out she's the bad guy. You need to help me kill her. I know what I did to you, but... Well, I know if I were in their shoes, I'd be like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) We're killing you anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, he's, he's like... They kind of... I mean, it would have to be a threat that's even worse or something, you know, some... and And I don't... I don't see her in that kind of light. I see that, like, definitely there's a evil symbiosis between her and Prince Roland. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. They both know that they're, you know, gaining this, you know, gaining something from it. And I kind of like that she's a more powerful and smarter entity than he is. And that, you know, kind of the, the big interesting part is they're going to have to deal with her in order to get to him. Um, and that, you know, when they do, then he's basically got nothing left. He'll, he'll, he'll fight and he'll surround himself with what little protections he has left. But right. if she goes down, you know, and I might, yeah, I might right. to shorten things up. I might end up just like forgetting about the heart of the dark lady or something. And okay. But what you, what, something. you, what you really need is to figure out what Roland is doing in all this. Yeah, well, right. I mean, I, I could just have him kind of sitting in and waiting, you know, doing the monster closet thing. But... And 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 obviously, because my main goal is to finish the campaign, the easiest way is to just have that happen. And honestly, I don't know that any of my players would ever question it. Mm-hmm. You know, like none of them would ever say, "Like, what's he been doing all this time? Sitting in his throne, waiting for us to come kick his ass?" You know, they would. Um, but 
for me, it's always more interesting. Like I, I did it with my my one to thirty Orcus campaign. I always said, like, what is Orcus doing now? And I actually used to write little visions that the party would see, or, or or things that just the players would know that the group wouldn't know about what's going on with Orcus right now. Mm-hmm. Like Orcus is telling his lieutenant to cut off his hand so that he can put on the hand of Timasis. You know, there was all these things. There was this big plot going on, and one thing I didn't really have in Gloomrot, which I kind of wish I did, is what was Roland working on while the party was working on their thing, right? Mm-hmm. What was the what was his thing? Well, not much, right? I mean, other people were working on things. There's all kinds of other people in, in Gloomrot that are pushing forward agendas. So why did he have them killed to begin with? Um, he, so he, some of them were members of a house known as House Felroth, which was the primary instigator of a, of a revolt against him. Okay. And some of them were just in the area when it was all happening. And Roland told uh, uh, Balaron his... Uh, uh, Crimson Sash lieutenant, the, the head of the Crimson Sash, he said, wipe that whole thing out. Kill everybody that's down there. I don't care. And so um, Balaron had rounded up like all the members of the house, men, women, and children, anybody that was nearby, put them in a warehouse, cut them all down, and then burned the whole thing to the ground. But before they could burn it, something happened with Gloomrod, and it created the sever, where all of that section of the land was shattered away and flooded. And it put out the fire, so it didn't quite burn all the bodies and everything inside. So then Roland said, all right, send in the charnel fangs. They'll clean everything up. And the charnel fangs you know, grabbed up all the bodies, dragged them out of the city, and buried them in a swamp where they sat for 50 years. And then 50 years later, grave robbers found out about it, went down there to try to get some loot, and they dug it up, and, the, and all the party are still f- perfectly preserved, and they woke up and went crazy. And, and this whole thing was long enough ago that you can't really easily tied back to that and what he was doing because it was 50 years ago. Yeah, he wasn't... Even then, all he was doing is trying to protect himself. Right. He he was trying to stop a revolt. So, I mean, that's... And I, I, I don't mind that too much. Like, it's it's kind of too late. Whatever plot he should have had, he should have had a while ago. Right. So, right now, he's just kind of lazy and sitting up there and their goal is to try to dethrone him. And that, that said, and I'm looking at his stats just to get a little bit of um, yeah. of, of a view into into who he is he comes off as a bit of a manipulator you know? right and he, he's he's his big stat is charisma right and so yeah uh, you know with the trained in bluff and diplomacy and insight and all that so it right. seems to me like he should be able to manipulate um other people into into hunting the pcs down and i and i almost wonder if what he's doing in the all of this is finding some of the people that some of the you know underground or whatever whoever the the current faction is that's that's trying to take him down right what if he's actually manipulating them to go after the pcs for him you know and so and so that that creates the the one group that i haven't really brought in yet is the tenebris cabal and you know they're kind of like shadow druids right they're this this group and one of the things that i'm thinking is he might end up you know making a deal with them because they're right around the you know they're they're a perfect kind of enemy Um, and that actually puts enemies on two sides because there's a group they they in, in killing the priestess of the Ravens Eerie they also got the scorn of the uh, I forget the evil Shardarkai people mm-hmm. um, that are in here. But see, part of part of what I'm thinking is that, that he's actually he's actually pitting two of his enemies against each other. He's he's yeah, p- picking right. one of his enemies and getting them to go after the PCs, which then creates the the interesting opportunity for the PCs because they can then. Instead of just well, there's one more thing we got to kill. It could be a matter of wait a minute, maybe we can actually convince these people 
to to help us because we're going to take right. out because we're going to take out Prince Roland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the problem is like, like all the the other. There's only one other group that could potentially be going after Prince Roland, and that's um, uh, Dietrich Harskull, which is the merchant lord of the thing. And I and I'm I'm not really setting it up that way, but Dietrich actually kind of liked the status quo of the way things were, and he's a little upset that the party's been screwing everything up. But he also kind of says, you know, if I work this right, I could end up running this place. Right. You know, so he's a group that he's been kind of in the shadows so far, and I think. You know, he other than kind of giving information, and maybe, maybe what he'll do is he'll he'll he might be the source to tell the party, hey, you know, you managed to destroy uh, the mercenary group, you know, the, the the crimson sashes, but that pushed him in a corner, and what he did was even worse. He managed to make a deal, some kind of deal, with the tenebrous cabal, and now the cabal protects him. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like you know, having the chief of police guarding the mafia and the Godfather. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I still sort of, especially for a gloom rock campaign, I like the idea of groups influencing and manipulating other groups without actually, without even being known. Like I want Prince Roland messing with people and and pitting people Mm -hmm. against the PCs and the group that's going after the PCs doesn't even know they're working for Roland, you know? Yeah. Actually there's a, there's a group that works real well for that, which is the, um, uh, what are they called? The ghost talent. Okay. Right, that the, the ghost talent is this group of like super radical um, sh- uh, Shatterkai that want to wipe out pretty much all of the non Shatterkai races and, and non followers of the Raven Queen, and the head of it is a guy named um, um, Oristus, who's uh, the brother of the head of the Ravens Eerie, who the party killed. So they were kind of separated because these guys were so radical and that a Raven Ziri was trying to be pretty straightforward. But, um, uh, Oristus could have, could easily be manipulated by Prince Roland to, you know, Prince Roland could give him, give him information saying, here's where they're going and here's where they are just to try to pit his revenge against mm-hmm. the party and maybe protect himself. And at the same time, he's hiring the Tenebris Kapal to protect himself. So that could give him two different groups that he's kind of wrapped around himself, both of which are pretty pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a cost, right? Prince Roland had to do something to get these guys to work for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm thinking that might be an interesting plot thing for the Tenebrous Cabal is that they really want to know why the party was still alive. Like, they're so kind of written into the, the druidic shadow magic. They want to know, like, something brought them back, and they don't know what. Mm-hmm. And they want to take him and put him on slabs and cut him open and do, you know, pour acid in their eyes to try to figure out what exactly happened to him. Mm-hmm. So maybe they are the price. Well, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a price it could, uh, for Roland. It could also be that he's, that he's taking a risk, you know, that he's, mani- yeah. he's manipulating these parties, but if he's found out, he's just made more enemies that to team up against him, you know? Right, right, right. Anyway, Randall, do you have any See, ideas? I, 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 I don't want to dominate all of the... <laughs> The advice giving. <laughs> well, first, I need a scorecard. <laughs> yeah. It is a bit yeah, like well, a, a flowchart. Right. This was a really it, hard. I kind of wish it was a flowchart with this thing because I'm, I'm running this all straight from the book. Like I said, I just want to run a Shadowfell campaign, Gloomrock campaign, and I want to run it just like Eric Scott to be wants me to. You know, like I, right. I don't want to. I, 
I want to uh, just run right from the book, and I'm gonna. I don't want to ever write a monster stat block, and I don't ever want to divert and change it to anything that's my weird story. I just want to, you know, run as easy in a campaign as I could run. But the problem is, there's so many interconnections. I had to like, you know, I needed to do like the memento, you know, note cards with with yarn, uh. you know, to try to remember what all the interconnections. Are. I actually did have a big flowchart. Right. Because it's so interconnected. And, and actually, my one criticism of the book is that it doesn't really have a good like glossary to say, you know, so-and-so was the former lover of so-and-so who is enemies with so-and-so. Uh-huh. Just yeah, so you can kind of nice follow that. Cause I, yeah, because I screwed yeah. up. Like, I made one, I put somebody on one side, and it turns out they're on the other, and it was too late, so I had to stick with that. It reminds me a lot of the, um, uh, the Robert Aspirin Thieves World yeah, uh, right. Stuff, uh, which, you know, you have all these interconnected stories, you know, and, right. but, um, it's, I mean, it's you're a right. fantastic, <laughs> you know, fantastic detail in it. Right. But it, it, um, it's a, it's a hard thing to run. It ain't, you know. Well, know. And particularly when you're now wanting to wrap it up in a couple of sessions, so. Yeah, well, that's, and that's, <laughs> that's probably the other thing is like trying to say like, okay, well, how is this going to, I mean, my, my, my sessions are always about two and a half to three hours long. They're short, they're shorter than a, a full four hour sure. and they have to run in that time because it's, it's run into 1030 and people go crazy when it hits like 10 or 1030. Yeah, I can't, I can't let them keep going on. So, uh, I also have to say, okay, if I'm going to run three more, what are, what are those three going to be? You know, and like, okay, well, one is the confrontation with Prince Roland. So that's pretty straightforward. You know, the next one we already know is them going into the graveyard and fighting the charnel fangs. And I've got a pretty good, you know, pretty good idea for that. Um, so then I have this one in the middle that kind of has to be the one adventure to kind of tie everything together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Is there a, an know. opportunity for some kind of chase? A chase scene um, with one of the, the groups that... I mean, you can do the connection superficially, and then the the main encounter, or the main bulk of it is, you said so, one thing that you said intrigued me. And again, I don't know much about Gloomrock. You said right. that certain portions of the city reappear and disappear. Yeah, right. Yes, that's that. The, the Does city, anyone have the city is always continually shifting and moving? Okay, is that under conscious control from anybody at all, from any agency, or is that just random or just an aspect of the area? Uh, if it's under any kind of control, nobody knows what it is. Like the, the mystery of the keepers is that, you know, if they have any kind of, I, I have my belief and my belief is that the city's actually trying to steal the souls of all the people inside, that it's okay. a giant machine for sucking off of depression. And right. they, you know, the city will always subtly shift itself in order to keep that level of, of, of gloom, uh, you know, that level of depression in a certain state. Well, you know, the, the thing that intrigued me was that, and then, and would also make a dynamic, I know you guys like the tabletop stuff a lot, you know, um, that would make a dynamic encounter would be some kind of chase scene that involved portions of an entire city block shifting and moving that's around. changing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's changing. That's so, idea. yeah, as you go across one roof, maybe all of a sudden you look behind you, that building's now gone, and then something else is in your way, and then, but wait a couple of rounds, and, you know, something's going to shift back. And you keep the right. elements out in control, but so and but also random so that the players don't necessarily know what it's going to do next. So and mm-hmm. you can do that pretty easily with you know blocks, house, you boxes, whatever you know, on the tabletop mm-hmm. and make it and make it seem pretty. Well, cool, I mean, yeah, so. a bunch of dwarven forge can can be can be broken up. Oh, that way. sure. I could do a, yeah, a big city street and have all the buildings kind of set up, and as they're going by, the buildings are crumbling and you know causing mm-hmm. all kinds of problems, and they have to they have something they have to do before the whole city around them begins to collapse. You know, right. I think maybe tying that around the dark lady would be like if the dark lady actually is kind of 
a nerve center of glumerot, and when they remove the phylacrity, that breaks off a connection of the of the, the shadow go. heart from Boom. the rest of the city, and now the whole area is falling apart. Plus, they just got attacked by members of the um, uh, you know members of the uh, uh, what do they call the bad guys, uh, uh, the uh, ghost talent. Yeah. So the ghost right. talent and you know the ghost talent are also having to worry about meanwhile and that makes some cool environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, boom! I think you got this. it. Yeah, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good idea. Cool. All right. Well, I know you're running low on your time there, Mike, and uh, we've been chatting for uh, an hour and twenty three minutes now. Uh, so I think it's time to to check. Did did you do you feel like you got something useful? Oh yeah. All right. Yes, I do too. Absolutely. Excellent. And I'm happy with what I have because I had no ideas, and now I have an outline of where, where I want to go. So um, I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. So very cool. And Excellent. hopefully, our listeners out there have gotten some great ideas in the meantime. Or they're screaming their ideas about what we should be doing, and uh, that's exactly <laughs> right. Or, or they turned us off. <laughs> or they turned us off. So I guess so if you, your comments, which Mike will not read. Yeah, I guess if you want to uh, to <laughs> let us know your Feel ideas, free to send comments so Jeff can paraphrase them to me. That's right. <laughs> uh, leave a comment on the site. You can always email me at thetomeshow at gmail dot com, um, and I'll pass those along to where they need to go. Um, you can also, I suppose, we could use the the voicemail line too if we wanted to incorporate that. It's nine one nine b i z t o m e. That's nine one nine biz tome. So people could contact us there as well with their ideas about what the heck we should be doing and i'll pass them along for the next episode which will be uh in a month right awesome so uh until then adventures closer until then uh you know keep your healing surges on you (laughs) bye-bye